the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise, designed to explore what unity in the body of Christ sounds like within our communities and beyond. Don't just listen to it. Be a part of it. Now, here's your host, Bible teacher, writer, broadcaster, and lover of God, Kaz Taylor. Well, welcome back, my friends, to a brand new show called Come Together San Diego. Actually, it's not a brand new broadcast. We've been doing this for five years or so, but this particular time frame, this particular group of guests have never been together before. They're not guests, really. They're co-hosts. But the topic is commanding, and it's one that you may have skirted past or into as you study through Scripture, but perhaps not gotten different points of view on their definition. One definition is talking about God's plans for one new man, as it's spoken of throughout Scripture. But also, we're going to talk a little bit about something that very few people dare talk about, and that's replacement theology. What place does that have in Scripture, and what place does it not have in Scripture? We're going to talk more about that. But I've got uh, a couple longtime friends to help me with this. My co-host for the entire two hours is a man named Steve Griffing. He's a minister in Plano, Texas, and uh, he's a remarkable guy and friend. I'm going to say hi to him, and then I'm going to bring on a prayer warrior to pray over the show, and then the next segment or so I'm going to introduce the next guest as well. But uh, Steve, how are you doing? Doing fine, Kaz. Very good. Well, as you as you heard me mention, one of the things we try to do, Steve, on this show is in advance of actually beginning the show, we have prayer warriors We've been doing this for about five years now, and we have a prayer warrior praying over the shows. Sometimes, when appropriate, I have them come on the air and give a brief, like, one-minute prayer live to start the show off. So if you don't mind, I'd like to have Imee Smith, our director of prayer ministries here at Come Together San Diego, pray over the show, and then you and I will engage in some commanding topics, and then in the next segment we'll bring on a messianic rabbi too i mean my listening friends buckle up because you're going to hear some points of view and some uh, nuances that perhaps you haven't heard and seen before it's going to help you uh, beef up your understanding of scripture but for right now let me introduce Amy smith our prayer warrior Amy, give us about a minute uh, pray over the show and steve and also rabbi robert wolf Amy, hi yes i'm here <laughs> Lord, we just thank you for this program, bringing truth and and righteousness to the body of Christ to bring us all together. We thank you for this show with with Steve Griffin and Rabbi Wolf, and we ask that you would just show us how to rightly divide the word of truth with their learning and understanding that they might impart that to us so that we can begin to all... Uh, know how to become one new man Ooh. so that we can be the righteousness of God in Christ and in Yeshua. And we thank you, Lord, because you have given us all the words of wisdom that we need in the word. But let us help us just 
understand it and how to rightly put it together. Not just the word, but prophecies and other things that have been blessed over us, Lord. And we ask that as we come to understand these things, as they bring it to part today, that they would have the wisdom to speak it into our spirit and we would have the wisdom to receive it. And we just ask that as we worship, Lord, that we will show your spirit more in love and in understanding and the desire to be your children, that it would come through and we would be your righteousness, yes. Lord, and we would be able to bring healing and restoration and togetherness into the body of Christ because we need that so much today. So let your truth just flow in the show and let us all receive it in Jesus' name. We thank oh, you, thank Father. You, Amy. Thank you, Amy Smith, uh, my dear friend. Thank you. Amy, God bless you and thank you for praying uh, behind the scenes as well. God bless you and the entire prayer team for Come Together San Diego. Steve Griffing, Plano, Texas, longtime friend and worshiper, worship leader, conductor. Oh my, so many different things. So uh, give me a brief update since the, you've been on you were a show a few months ago, but it's time to continue our conversations because we started getting this is really exciting stuff. And guess what? We looked at the clock and it was time to go. <laughs> time to go. So a brief overview of the Steve Griffin, and then we'll uh, launch into a few topics. And then maybe the next segment, I'll bring a, a rabbi, Rabbi Robert Wolf. Uh, well, one uh, thing yeah. that, uh, Taz, one thing that's come up and, uh, and seems to be gaining some momentum is um, uh, connected to my involvement as dean of the International Worship Symposium. Uh, which, you know, my brother and I founded in 1978. You were involved in various of our events, and that continued and grew throughout the 80s and on up into the early 90s. And um, as the dean, I was the guy that just, I didn't have to come up with everything because it wouldn't have worked that way. It wouldn't have been very successful. But I, I was the guy that decided what was going to be taught and what wasn't going to be taught. Yes. Because we had a lot of, a lot of people submitting papers and I had to, had to go through and decide, you know, and eventually, I mean, we got to where, my goodness, I think in 1986, I had a faculty of 76 speakers oh, and nice, something dude. like 130 classes there in Washington. DC. But um, it is interesting that a recent study by the Duke Divinity School, uh, concluded the following, and quote, the International Worship Symposium played a key role in transmitting and transforming praise and worship in the 1980s, a contribution that continues to have an indelible impact on global Protestant worship today. Now, that's, that's from really sort of the, the Harvard University of the United Methodist Church. And... Um, I didn't even I didn't know about this project until um, it had been going on for a couple of years, and they came across my name and interviewed me and and uh, spoke to me about this. The gentleman that was in charge of it is Dr. Lester Ruth, who is their professor of, of uh, church worship history, and is a marvelous scholar and a tremendous Christian. And uh, he a couple of years ago published the most searching book I've ever read on uh, a modern praise and worship. And it's just, uh, 
uh, you know, it's funny. I don't have it right in front of me right here. I'll get it on the break sure. here and give you the title. But it's a it's a, it's a major um, a major project, and um, you can just look him up, Doctor Lester Ruth. He's published a lot. Yes, and, yes. Um, so um, so that that's kind of a feather in our cap. But it shows what he points out is that uh, while the music industry in the Jesus movement uh, supplied a lot of material, he was able to drill down further than that and uh, discover uh, where the uh, where the theological roots were. Yes. And uh, as both you and I agree and have found out, you know, over the years, that uh, this idea of the church being restored and uh, this biblical picture, the restoration of the tabernacle of David, that's what actually... Uh, propelled the ideas that went into what we now just call the Christian worship industry. Yes. And, um, but, you know, most people don't know where it came from or, uh, so, and I think if you don't know where something came from, it's not likely you're going to be able to sustain it either. That's exactly right. And you know, my listen, thank you, Steve. You know, my listening friend, here's the deal. Steve and I have been friends for a couple decades now and we have a, a similar heart cry for worship and praise, but not just, you know, mandated. Here's a nice little gospel song that we've sung for, through the years. And that's that's a value as well. But there's also another nuance of of uh, worship and praise uh, that you must worship the Father. It says in the book of John, to worship the Father in spirit and in truth and really endeavor to understand what that means. And a lot of the spirit and truth of worshiping God not only deals with music, but it is also worshiping God in our understanding of Scripture. So Absolutely. Oh, uh, here I finally— uh, Oh, you found it. I got, got this here. It's called A History mm-hmm. of Contemporary Praise and Worship, and subtitle, Understanding the Ideas, not just the personalities, the ideas that reshaped the Protestant Church and Lester Ruth, and then he's assisted by uh, uh, Lim Sui Hong, who is a professor of church music uh, at the uh, in Toronto. The uh, uh, oh my gosh, what do they call it? Anyhow, the main Canadian university there. I forget the name of it. And this is a major uh, publication from Baker, so it's it's a it's a big deal. And uh, in fact, actually, there's a professor now at um, uh, at Belmont University in uh, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee. He's their professor of uh, Christian worship. His name is Adam Perez, and he did his doctoral thesis on the International Worship Symposium. I didn't know there was enough to write about. Yes. But he's one of these guys... <laughs> yep. He's just one of these guys that cranks out dissertations, yes. uh, you know, left and right. You know, one of the things, you, you know, you and I have been in a multitude of different services and perhaps even different kinds of services. And one of the things that I know you and I have a similar heart cry on is a lot of times a, 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 a pastor and a leader will go, okay, we're going to do a few songs and then we're going to get into the message. But when Holy Spirit takes hold of the service, you have to be willing that things change. And uh, I've been, you and I have been in services where Holy Spirit just uh, commanded the attention, and uh, our preconceived uh, notions and our notes had to take uh, second seat, if you will, or third seat yep. to what Holy Spirit wants to go. That is, if we're willing to listen and obey 
God's Holy Spirit. It's coming up time for a break, and I want to yeah. spend some time talking with you, not only the restoration of the tabernacle of David, but restoration of God's truths in these last days. And one of those restorations of truths is dealing with one new man. So I'm going to uh, have you talk with me on that in the future segments. And uh, in yeah. the upcoming segments, I'm going to bring on a rabbi friend, Rabbi Robert Wolf, and he's going to have some insights on these things as well. So I know your game to join me in that, Steve Griffin, and my listening friend, buckle up, because you're going to be hearing things from a, a, a nuance that perhaps you haven't heard before. But this is uh, important because it's going to give you a different perspective that you're going to need to weigh and pray and say, well, I haven't thought of it that way. Well, now take it off the shelf and put it in your repertoire and say, okay, maybe I have to include this in my point of view and way of thinking. So Steve Griffin and I are going to talk about the restoration of worship and praise, but also the restoration of God's strategies when he and I come right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Come Together San Diego with Kaz Taylor on K-Praise. Well, hello, my friends. Are you... Ready for an engaging dialogue? How many times have you had a chance to talk with both a Pentecostal worshiper, worship leader, and teacher and compare notes between he and a rabbi? Uh, this particular rabbi's name is Rabbi Robert Wolf. He's a good friend of mine, as is Steve Griffin, who is the Pentecostal worshiper, worship leader, a teacher, a uh, the um, dean of a uh, international Worship Symposium and uh, getting their different, you know, here's what happens and uh, Steve, bear with me for just a second. Here's what happens in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is is comprised of so many different believers, so many different godly denominations and so many different points of view that God, I think, desires to us, for us to come together and understand nuances of the other person so that we can understand him vertically and each other horizontally, that begins the composition of what we would call the one new man. So, Steve, I've been mentioning to you my friend Rabbi Robert Wolf, and I thought it was time for me to introduce him and let's engage in a conversation. I'm not sure where Holy Spirit is going to go in this, but uh, I thought it would be engaging. Do you mind if we do that, Steve? That'd be wonderful. I've been looking forward to uh, meeting him and uh, uh, got to read just a little bit of... uh, some of the things that he's written and uh, sounds like a a precious brother. He is a precious brother as well. So uh, Rabbi Robert Wolf, also known as Bob, how are you doing, brother? Hi, hi, Skipper. I'm good and uh, (laughs) pleasure to meet you. If you're a friend of Kaz, you're a friend of mine. Ooh, I like that. Thank you. That's right. Thank you. Well, you know, Bob and I have spent a great deal of time together in venues that uh, blend um, Hebrew-related things from a messianic point of view with a, a Gentile Christian points of view. And we've had fun watching how God blends uh, different points of view together. And when we were going to talk about the one new man, that's one of his real uh, heart cries. Uh, and some of his writings have dealt with the one new man as well. So um, because, you know, Steve, you and I just got done talking about how God wants to invest in the restoration of worship, but restoration of all godly things, and one of the things I think that's near and dear to God's heart is the topic of one new man, and worship will play a role. So, yeah. um, 
Steve, why don't uh, why don't you give a very brief, like just a very brief t- overview of what what God has stirred to you in this one new man? I mean, brief, so that that uh, Rabbi uh, Bob could jump on in, and let's have a dialogue, shall we? Sure. Go ahead, yeah, well, Steve. Well, of course, I I take the one new man uh, out of the you know the Book of Romans, yep. where uh, um, you know where Paul basically he. He espouses replacement theology, but it's not replacement of, of Israel by the church. It is dual replacement. You replace the Gentile and the Jew, Ooh. placing them in the one new man. Oh, I love it. And uh, so if, if, there is a, if there is a replacement theology, uh, that's what it is. I like to think of it as expansion theology. theology. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it is simply God taking... The promises of Abraham that are accessed by faith, the faith of Abraham, and uh, extending those to the whole world. After all, he loved the whole world enough to give his, his only son for it. Yes, so yes. That's the master plan. Very good. Rabbi Bob, what do you have to say? Yes. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Rabbi Bob. It was really good talking with you. It's See you nice next time. Knowing you guys, and I'll you know I'll check you out in a couple of weeks. Well, Ken. well, you know, as I, you know, you and I, uh, Rabbi Bob, have been uh, knocking around in the the blending of um, Hebrew perspectives and uh, Gentile Christian perspectives, and part of it is, wouldn't you say, is a matter of uh, different words that we use to perhaps imply s- similar things and. Somebody can get all hung up in words and their preconceived definitions, which may not be valid. Talk a little bit about that and uh, the Hebrew Jewish perspective on the one new man. Um, And then we'll have Steve jump on in on that as well, because I've got so many other related topics. You guys are going to be you guys are going to be pelted. Yeah. So good. I like that. I hope it's I hope it's mink. Okay. Um, (laughs) So uh, what's interesting is uh, let's take a look at just the world we live in today and how diversity is being redefined, okay, to the degree that it's like as long as it's diverse, it's good, okay? And then the people that are determining diversity have an agenda attached to it. And so on one hand, they're saying, well, if we get as many different people from as many different points of view as possible, the inevitable outcome is it will work for everybody. There is no history that has ever shown such a philosophy has any chance of working. Um, it's it's a, a, a recipe for chaos, and the world that we're getting into is getting more and more chaotic, and we've seen that. But Diversity is a concept that is brought forward in Scripture as, yes, some of those thoughts are similar in that we need to be diverse to get the different flavors. It's as simple as sitting down for dinner. You're going to have one thing for dinner, or if you're going to have something alongside, you're going to have some vegetables or salad or a drink, whatever it is. All those things add to what we call dinner, and they make dinner delicious. But to say that somehow if we get everything from every section of the grocery store and put it all on the meat, all on the table, that therefore we're going to have a better dinner is absurd. It's just absurd. Um, so the challenge that we've had here is that there is history of the church 
deciding that certain people had favoritism in the church. We've only been doing that for over 1,700 years. Uh, There is nothing in Scripture that tells us that there's more than one church. It's never mentioned more than one church. There's several scriptures that that warn us against making more than one church. So this is uh, our problems here are really our history in terms of how man has tried to redefine something. And the whole idea of denominations uh, and the rest of this, uh, it's not that there isn't room for different ways of viewing things. But what we have done is basically said, ah, my way of seeing it's better than yours, mm-hmm. Kaz, or yes. Joe's, or Steve's, or Harry's. And immediately, that's when the Lord goes, this, that's just the opposite of what I taught you. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. But yes. th- would you say, and I want Steve to jump into this as well, but doesn't God give us a pattern in the manner in which he introduces things, not only in the First Testament, but also in the Second Testament? For example, um, when when Moses uh, and the tabernacle of Moses was uh, devised it was really tied to the twelve tribes, and each tribe had a different nuance and When you put those nuances together, they were all tribal members, but they were different tribe uh influences and When you brought those together, they became a uh, a a very powerful group that could even wage war and be absolutely confident of victory when they had the Lord God himself as the leader. Now, I extrapolate from that a New Testament implication as it is in the book of the Revelation, the different churches that are spoken of in the book of the Revelation. Each one of them is kind of like a tribe or a different denomination, if you will. And I don't think you were saying that this only can be one denomination in God's plan, but having a different cross-section of different denominations or different tribes blended together and in that blending is found the one new man would that be accurate and then i'm going to have steve give some input we only got about a minute and a half left in this segment and then we will continue this conversation on the other side of the break so starting very very briefly uh bob and then i'm going to have steve give a brief overview and then we're going to dive into this in the next segment the, the context of one new man uh is a new testament for second testament whatever it is concept The concept of unity is the First Testament, is the Old Testament. So unity has always been there. But there is no question that the Lord set Israel aside to be exemplary. So his chosenness had to do with, I'm going to make you an example. He didn't choose Israel because he cared more about people that were Jews than he did Gentiles. Well stated. Uh, God, God says, everybody, I love you all. I love you all equally. But I do want to show you this pattern that you speak of. So I agree with you completely, Cass. There is a pattern by which God wants to have things done. And he said, I'll let Israel exemplify that for the rest of the world. And so he did that. Then when he sends his son, he says, now to this pattern that has been established, now I'm going to open up the door so that the Gentiles can receive the same favoritism that I have given to the Jews. And that favoritism was, again, to be exemplary. It wasn't because he loved one group more than the other. Yes, It was just, I have put you in a position for everybody to view so they can see how I work. 
Yes, yes, yes. Well, hey, Steve, we're running out of time here, but uh, I know you're geared up to uh, speak into this topic and much more. And I'm going to invite you to start the next segment. Uh, Steve Griffin talking about the one new man, uh, First Testament, uh, Second Testament, and how God desires to blend them together into this one new man. And one new man is in God's uh, one of the first thing he desires for his body to embrace. We're going to talk more about that with Steve Griffin and Rabbi Robert Wolf. We come right back. You're listening to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Don't just listen to it. Be a part of it at 866-577-2473. You're just moments away from more Come Together San Diego on K-Praise. Now, back to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise with Kaz Taylor. Welcome back, my friends. We are just launching out in a very engaging conversation. I have got a prolific Pentecostal teacher, musician with me uh, as my co-host, Steve Griffin from Plano, Texas. And I have also invited uh, an, uh, an, another friend who is uh, tied to uh, minist- uh, Majestic Ministry, uh, Glory Ministries. His name is Rabbi Robert Wolf. We're talking about, among other things, uh, one New Man, which happens to be one of the uh, books that has been authored by Rabbi Wolf called Unity, The Awakening of One New Man. So thank you, uh, uh, Rabbi, for spending a little bit of time giving an overview from your point of uh, a point of view from your perspective as a uh, Messianic rabbi. And I'm sure it embraces other uh, people as well, but I thought I'd hand the baton to Steve Griffin to give some insights here because I, I want to talk about what your definitions are, but I also, both of you, but I also want to talk about how uh, replacement theology has been misdefined and the injuries that that causes as, as well. So Steve, handing the baton to you, Steve Griffin. Okay. Um, you know, I, uh, I'd like to take the one new man and stretch him into the old Testament. <laughs> okay. All, the, um, the Apostle Paul said that it was, you know, that's the mystery that's been hid from long ago. And then the uh, Apostolic Council, uh, when they quoted from uh, Amos 9-11, the restoration of the Tabernacle of David, that was the bringing in of the Gentiles right then and there. It wasn't talking about something in the future or something in the past. The, you know, when an apostle uh, interprets an Old Testament scripture, he's probably right, even though it wouldn't have it wouldn't have occurred to me. I don't think so. But he says, known of all, known from old are these things, that God would raise up for himself a people for his name. And that's my concept of one new man. And uh, and I think we see hints of it. I agree totally with uh, Rabbi Wolf that, um, uh, you know, these things were hidden and given uh, in an exemplary way to Israel. Israel was the gestation of the idea of one man, of one new man. Pentecost was the birth of one new man. And then the uh, council in Acts 15, that was the birth certificate where we decided that this actually was the one new man. But um, before that, there was, it, was, it was conceived of in the mind of God long before. And so we have to keep in mind that uh, by the time uh, uh, the law of Moses arrived, the, new, the Old Testament, or I love what you say, the first, Testament, it was almost over historically. It had been going on for three millennia. And, uh, and even with Abraham, the, the, the biblical record had been going on for 2,000 years. 
and Abraham was a Chaldean. So, uh, um, you know, we, I, I like to look for New Testament truths uh, enfolded and in, in increased into the Old Testament, and then acted out through God's people in the, of the Jewish, uh, you know, of, of the people of Israel. Very good. Uh, Rabbi, uh, Bob, uh, any thoughts with that? Yeah, I mean, again, I can't find anything to disagree with you about it. And, and <laughs> there is no question that this person of the one new man is throughout Scripture, First, Second Testament, Old, New Testament, whatever you want to say. It is consistently there. Uh, my, my statement was basically to say that God set up the design for us to see with Israel. But to say that God had any less love for somebody who wasn't Jewish I cannot find anywhere in Scripture. There's there's no evidence of that anywhere. It's just a matter of what he is revealing to us and when. Yes. And I like your analogy about pregnancy and gestation and so on, and uh, right up through Acts 15, that that is when um, we're basically saying, this council is going, what do we do here? The Holy Spirit's been, been poured out. Um it is it is difficult for Jewish people who are the traditional Jews who have not had this veil lifted because they don't they don't study the Bible. They don't even study Old Testament very much. Most of the more religious organizations uh, are studying uh, Talmud and Mishnah, or not Talmud, but Mishnah and, and the other uh, Sadducees and the old writings, the sages. All these people were writing things, and then they come up and they come all, with all kinds of philosophies out of this stuff that is not biblically consistent. And the sad thing is, is that I'm a Jewish person, and I discovered that all these people that are that are studying Torah are basically not spending much time in Torah. That's what they, it's like. We think that they're studying Old Testament. They're not studying the Old Testament that much. Well, and I think they're saying to be. I think the same can be said of a lot of Protestant ministers. There's not a whole lot of Bible in there, you know. Oh my. <laughs> I, I think I saw a statistic that said that of the people that call themselves Christian, that six percent of them read Scripture every day. Oh my. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it's like people. Ouch. Okay, oh so if if we're not in the Word, all right, then we're going to gather information from other sources, and we're going to try to pull that into what our belief system is. And that's where our challenge begins. Wow, wow, wow. But you, both of you guys are so astute in be, uh, bringing that up, because that's the topic I wanted to talk about after we get out of this break. Good. You know, because, you know, uh, I think, Steve, you, you really hit it on the head there, and that is, you know, or, or uh, Rabbi Wolf, you talked about many of the people that are, have the Jewish derivation, if you will, and they say that they study Scripture. Basically, they're studying other, other things uh, that it really may not be intimately involved with the Torah, they're ancillary to the Torah, and without embracing the fullness of God's Torah and Word, then you can extrapolate things that aren't aren't valid. And then Steve, <laughs> I have to laugh because you said it's the same thing uh, with many Protestant believers as well, and that's exactly where I think many people in God's body, if you will, have found themselves, and as such, you get. Uh, preconceived notions about what is godly and what is not godly, and you get on both sides of the equation, both Jew and Gentile, you get people that have a replacement doctrine, a replacement theology, and the, and the 
Christ, many Christians have misplaced replacement uh, theology, but I want to say, because I hang, hung around with the Jewish people as well, many of the Jewish people have a misplaced replacement theology as well, and both of them think that they're right, <laughs> and therein is the misnomer, therein is the danger. Uh, we've only got about a minute and a half left in this segment. Would you both give a very brief thought on this, and let's excavate it further after the break? Uh, start out with you, Steve. You know, it occurred to me, uh, Kaz, that, uh, and Bob, that uh, if in our discussions as brothers here uh, tonight, if we just simply inspire other Christians to get into the Word and, and say, gee, I didn't know all this stuff was in there. I wonder what this is all about. If we do that alone, it's been successful. <laughs> I love it. Exactly. Yeah. Bob? Uh, I think what we've been dealing with all along is what I call an irreplaceable theology. That we're, we're trying to figure out how to replace something that God said, I designed it in such a way that you can't replace it. Ooh. Yeah. Yes, yes, okay. yes. So it's 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 man's doing to try to undo something that God has done. Yes, yeah. I, I agree. You know, it's going to be about time for me to take a break. But, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Israel. I've spent a lot of time in the in the church in the United States with many, many different godly denominations. And I've seen this challenge on both sides. And as I mentioned to you both, that both there are both there are extremes on both sides from a Jewish perspective and also from a Gentile Christian perspective as to what is godly and what is not godly. And a big chunk of that is not based on Scripture. It's based on their own preconceived notions or misconceived notions. And uh, God wants to straighten us out, especially now when we're in vital times. So uh, I'd love to carry this conversation further. I think we've opened the door to some amazing thoughts from two different perspectives. But my listening friend, I think you're hearing a common denominator from both, and we're going to excavate that when we come right back. More Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor is next on K-Praise. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Here's Kaz Taylor. It sounds like a joke that a rabbi and a priest were walking together down the street and... <laughs> but but the truth of the matter is God wants us to walk together. The Bible talks about how can you walk together unless you be agreed. And we're talking about a topic that we're hoping that God's kids can agree on. And it, I, a part of it is a matter of definitions or mis understanding definitions. I, I'm so honored to have Steve Griffin with me. He's a, a Pentecostal teacher, a musician, conductor, so many different things. I, I've known him for a few decades and also uh, another friend with Majestic Glory Ministries, Rabbi Bob Robert Wolf and the author of Unity, Awakening the One New Man. My listening friend, here's the deal. It really, really, it gets down to this and we're going to have to make sure that we get our definitions correct. Rabbi and Steve, I've spent a lot of time in Israel talking with the Orthodox Jews, and um, more than ever before of late, they they have been more willing to talk with me, a professing uh, Christian. And I I know that they have a problem. One of the things that that some of my uh, uh, Orthodox Jewish friends, some of them are in media, they say, don't proselytize me. And I say, what do you mean by proselytize you? They said, we don't want you saying, Jesus, 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 you know, and uh, forgive me for saying that. I mean, being 
teasing with that, but Rabbi, one of the things I've noticed in the Messianic uh, m- m- uh, movement is that they they use a different terminology when they speak about Jesus. They may say Yeshua, Yeshua Hamashiach. They may say a number of different things, and you, uh, a Christian, should not take umbrage against things like that because it's. It, you know, the name of Jesus is spoken of in many different ways. And a lot of uh, Christians, if they understood that uh, when when uh, Christians come to Israel and they go, Jesus is Jesus that. But if they say well, what I tended to do is I say uh, Messiah, Messiah, Ben David, the Messiah, son of David, I'll have Orthodox, unorthodox, ultra Orthodox and Christians all agreeing with me that we're looking for Messiah son of David. Now, the the Orthodox Jew will say uh, that's where they have problems because we're identifying the, the son of David being Jesus himself, and the Orthodox Jews don't want to have anything to do with that. But soon this is going to change because the real son of God is going to show himself mightily in these days and things are going to change. Um, uh, any, any thoughts on that, Rabbi? And then I'm going to have Steve. I know St- Steve and I have had this discussion briefly before, but I'll tell you what, my friends, uh, there's no denying you have to embrace the Son of God. And uh, the, the Orthodox Jews are having a problem with our definition, and rightly so. Talk to us about that, Rabbi. Well, there's, for example, Isaiah 53 is not taught in the yeshivas. The yeshivas are the schools. <clears throat> so the second half of Isaiah 52 and, and Isaiah 53. Now, if you do talk to a Hebrew scholar about it, they will tell you that they're talking about Israel. They're not talking about the Messiah. But people that are are worthy scholars see that the, the language doesn't really speak of a nation. It speaks of an individual. Yes. Um, so first what happens is there's a certain amount of avoidance, okay? Um, and there is a predisposition to say that we don't want to admit that Jesus could be uh, the Messiah, the Son of God, or part of this so-called Trinity. And so um, initially what we have to run into is what is our language that we're going to use. If I speak of Jesus, in what context can I say this so that the person doesn't automatically say, just get away from me, okay? Um, I wrote a book called Have You Seen the Lamb? And one of the things that I've noticed is that if I ask a Jewish person, uh, could Jesus be the Passover lamb, that you can avoid some of that conflict because now you've asked a question and you haven't put Jesus in the terminology of being part of the Trinity, the Messiah, the Son of God. Okay, so so now at least you can have some kind of a dialogue and start to talk about something that for many Jewish people they would avoid talking about. So the yes. first thing you need to do is to come up with language that allows the dialogue to begin. Yes. Steve? Yes, we as Christians, we need to recognize that our message does not just boil down to some phonetic formulas. Oh, that's so good. It's much deeper than that. And we have to, perhaps we can become more skilled in what I might call kind of rhetorical jujitsu, to where when... (laughs) And our when the person we're trying to convince pushes back, instead of us pushing harder the other direction, no, Jesus, 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 we we go, okay, let's accept, you know, back off, 
there's there there's many ways of saying the same thing. I was reminded. Uh, uh, Robbie Wolf just reminded me of a conversation I had with a very distinguished um, physicist who was a, a an unbelieving Jew. Yeah, interesting. A practicing Jew, but uh, but basically an atheist. I don't quite get it, but <laughs> uh, uh, anyhow, and um, he he was saying, "Are you trying to tell me?" I was talking about the Lord, and, and he was trying to tell me. He says, "Now, if somebody came from another galaxy, and uh, would he, would that person, would there be a Jesus that died on the cross and uh, shed his blood for our sins, et cetera, et cetera?" And I. Well, he was saying this, and that's a very good question for one thing. And uh, God gave me a good answer, and I said, Joe, one thing I do know, I'm not sure exactly how it would come out. One thing I do know is there, there would be a lamb that was sacrificed for our sins and yours too. And I, I felt like the Lord gave that to me, you know, but that was just a little jujitsu. And rather than kind of pushing back and, and, and you know, but uh, going ahead and just figuring out a very compassionate way, just, just you know, uh, you're, we're not, as Christians, we're not called upon to be theologians or powerful uh, rhetoricians and with very, very persuasive words. Our gospel is a matter of power. It's power, not just words. And, yeah. uh, and it is the Holy Spirit that uh, converts the heart. And uh, whether a Jew or Gentile, I'm sure you all share that faith. But yes. uh, uh, it is a skill that, you know, Jesus said, go out there and be as shrewd as snakes, but gentle as doves. And that's a, that's a powerful image right there. God help me to be shrewd, but with a spirit of love and a gentleness. Oh my. Not all Jews are like our, your, your Salem broadcasting superstar, Dennis, uh, Prager, yeah. you know, uh, people <laughs> call the Jews, call them up and say, aren't you offended when Christians call and they say they're praying for you, Dennis, and everything. He says, no, they want something good for me. They they mean very well. They don't. <laughs> I wish yeah. they were all that way, although I wish they'd take the step too. But, uh, um, you know, we want something good for people, you yes. know, and, uh, uh, and we need to always reflect that in our spirit and and once again, we can be persuasive. We listen carefully and say, okay, I'll adopt your lexicon, but I'm going to turn it around and make sure that you get the word and you get the word of my testimony. That's all. That's really all that we're required to do is give testimony of what we've experienced. That's good. That's good. Uh, thoughts about this, Rabbi? You know, one of the things, as I, as I look at this, you did an interesting parallel of uh, the, the same um, mis- communication that Gentiles have in communicating, uh, Christians have in communicating with Jew, many Jews. Uh, the same problem is the Jews miscommunicating with the Gentiles. Now, you, we, we three came up with an, an absolute truth, and that is Jesus is uh, the Son of God. Jesus is Messiah. Jesus is Messiah ben David or Messiah uh, son of David. All, all these different things, and some of the, or the Lamb of God, and uh, some of these things is more uh, uh, commodious, if you will, uh, acceptable with with a Jewish point of view. But uh, um, um, how about a a rabbi such as you, uh, Bob, uh, using 
how do you, you know, one of the things that I've studied in Scripture is the understanding of the uh, tabernacle of Moses and, and worship and praise and, and the temple. And uh, uh, Steve and I have done understanding the tabernacle of David, which is a, a nuance of, of things that really embrace both Testaments. How would you, from a Jewish perspective, communicate with a Gentile Christian that people need to pay close attention to the um, uh, the, the things that are written in the Old Testament, like feasts and festivals and days and years and things like that, to help them garner an understanding? And as Steve used the refer- reference of a Lamb of God, if you want to understand the Lamb of God, you got to get into the Old Testament uh, implications as well. A quick thought. I'm going to ask both of you to stay with me for a little while into the next segment, uh, the next hour as well. But uh, would you lay it on me, Rabbi Bob? I'll lay it on you. Um, yeah, I, I, I believe that that Jesus made this thing as simple as possible. But if you think about it, Jesus took fishermen who were fishing their whole life and taught them how to fish. And he took farmers that have been out there plowing fields all their lives and he taught them what seed was. Okay, this is something where we can go. Um, Steve and I could probably go into all kinds of scriptures with the nuances. I mean, I've got stuff here written down in case we go that direction about when God made His covenant with Israel, and it was, you know, a covenant some break. But we we can go down that route. But what Jesus was looking for was what the person was ready to hear, and he questions, you know. And, and he would say, you know, you have to be born again in order to understand some of the things. So he, he basically was having a conversation that was preparing people to listen to him. And no matter how wise I may be or anybody else may be, if the person that I'm talking to does not want to listen to me, it doesn't matter how eloquent I am. It makes no difference whatsoever. The question is, am I attuned to that person's needs? If I'm attuned to that person's needs, I've got a good chance of reaching them. Oh, my. My, my, my. You know, you, you both speak about the vernacular and things like that. I'm running out of time in this segment. Could you both stay with me? Uh, I know Steve's with me for the entire two hours, but uh, Rabbi Bob, I wonder if you'd stay all? with Okay. This is an engaging conversation. My listening friend, I hope you're paying close attention. God wants to maybe change our vernacular and increase our faith. And uh, Rabbi uh, Bob uh, Wolf and Steve Griffin, Pentecostal teacher, worshiper, worship leader, uh, conductor. We're going to talk more about this when we come right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Come Together San Diego with Kaz Taylor on K-Praise. Welcome back, my friends. You know, I had this whole show scripted out, and I think Steve did, too. He showed me his outline as well. I, I think we're fudging a little bit on what we thought we were going to be going through, but I, I think we're in an engaging conversation, and particularly, Steve, when you made mention about, from a Protestant point of view versus a Jewish point of view, a lot of it may be language and semantics. You know, uh, uh, Rabbi uh, Bob Wolf, a, a Messianic rabbi, is with us too, and Steve Griffin, a man from a Pentecostal uh, persuasion and beyond, 
Uh, and a lot of the things we spent in the first first hour talking about was from from the a Jewish perspective. And one of the comments, Steve, you made early on in the first hour was Protestants are can be askew in understanding or misunderstanding this whole one new man thing as well. I'm going to hand the baton to you first, Steve, to talk a little bit about how maybe many Protestants have a misnomer about what God's plans for his body are. You know, if, you, if you're studying things from a um, one denominational point of view, you can get a, perhaps a different skew than God wants us to, to bring in Jew and Gentile as one new man. Steve Griffin, what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think um, many Christians see the church as a plan B that when the uh, the, the Jewish uh, Hebrew nation uh, rejected Christ, which I don't totally accept, actually, but but still historically did not uh, follow the gospel, that uh, God was up in heaven wringing his hands, wondering what to do, and uh, he didn't have much time to do it. He only had about 50 days to come up with Pentecost. <laughs> and he decided, I'm going to start a thing called uh, Ecclesia. Let's call it Ecclesia, okay? All right. And, uh, and we're just going to make this a holding tank for Gentiles, because I want to make these Jews jealous. So I'm going to bring these Gentiles in, and they're going to start worshiping me. But we know the Gentiles. Eventually, they're going to fall away and go into apostasy. It may take one millennium or two or whatever, you know, but, you know, I've got time. So <laughs> they're going to fall into apostasy, apostasy, but Jesus will come back just before they go completely down the toilet, and he will take 144,000 Jews and rule the earth and do in seven years without the Holy Spirit what it took the entire church 2,000 years with the Holy Spirit could not accomplish. And many, (laughs) many Christians, evangelicals, believe that. Now, you talk about sapping faith out of your worship service. I'm sitting here in church, and I'm, I'm attaching myself to something the Bible promises is going to fail, and uh, at least the way it's taught in many circles. But now I think what we're talking about when uh, – I don't want to put words in everybody's mouth, but when we're talking about one new man, we're talking about a victorious church having neither spot or wrinkle or any such thing. It's just, I, I'm uh, – Drawn to Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, where it talks about the various ministries of the apostles, prophet, evangelists, pastor, teachers. Yes. It says, and what are they for? For the work of the ministry, what? The and here's the, of the body. logical thing. Until yeah. we all come, Jew and Gentile, in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto the one new man, yes. right? Uh, and I'm importing that from earlier in Ephesians, but unto the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ, my goodness gracious. And uh, so we see that this one new man is, is the church is going to be believing Jews and Gentiles. And in fact, actually, if you look earlier in Ephesians, the second chapter, uh, where he actually uses the word one new man, Paul actually refuses to use the word circumcised and uncircumcised. He, you know, he says, he says, you know, therefore you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcised by the circumcision, which is made by hands. 
So he's saying, I'm rejecting that term anyhow. Remember that you, at time, were separated from Christ, alienated, etc. And he goes, then he goes the other way, and he says, you know, the uh, the circumcision, which also is something they were called, and uh, you know, and so he re- he rejects that Jew versus Gentile terminology for the sake of argument and for the sake of helping these people understand what we got saved into, okay. and so most Christians have no idea what God's plan is for the church, but they want a plan for their life. Listen, if you want to be, have a purpose-driven life, don't read about yourself or, read, you know, look into yourself. Look at the church. Find out what God's plan is for the church. Then see how you fit into his agenda rather than how <laughs> he may fit into your agenda. Oh, wow. uh, you know that Jeremiah scripture everybody likes to, to quote. You know, I have good plans for you, things for good and everything like that. Oh, that means Jesus has got planned good things for me. No, the, the, the you in that in the Hebrew is always plural. So it should be y'all, all, all y'all. That's what it would be in Texan. I have plans for all y'all together, and I'm not going to just bless these guys over here and not bless those guys there. We there is no blessing until we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Just as it was that Israel could not go into their promise until the last of them, right? The priest stood in the middle of the Jordan River until every last. Hebrew had crossed over into the promised land then, and only then could they go into the fullness of what God had promised for them. That's it. Oh, my. I, I waxed eloquent. Okay. There were <laughs> elephants. Uh, Rabbi uh, Robert Wolf, I, I, you know, I have to laugh because you've, you've said very similar things from a slightly different uh, dialect than Steve, but I think basically you guys are speaking the same thing. And one of the things I have to smile about is God will like uh, similarly bring Jew and Gentile bond and free together into this one new man. But we maybe have to revisit our definitions and things like that. Any input, Rabbi? Well, uh, first of all, I really do appreciate your perspective on things, Stephen. I mean, our identity is first and foremost in Christ. And it is out of that that we then see the victory and we see all the things that God has for us. When we start uh, making our identity more about the fact that I'm Jew or, or Gentile, or if I'm from a particular nation, a particular ethnicity, race, whatever, if we place that above who we are in Christ, we are not one new man. Mm-hmm. That's what it is to it. So that the one new man, by definition, in, in Ephesians 2, is when those walls of separation are torn down. Yes. And so we our identity of one new man in him first. So it's not like I become one new man. Uh, is Christ in me? Yes. But the Christ who is in me is the same Christ that's in all of us. So mm-hmm. I can't that somehow I've got a corner on Christ. No, it's just the opposite. Is is that the foundation that, that God lays for the kingdom is the same for every single person. And when we stand there, we stand together. Those are the living stones. We're all knit together into the same tabernacle. So are there still identities of our different cultures? Yes, they're not going to go away. We understand that, right? Those are secondary 
to who I am in the Lord. And anytime I, I shift those positions, then I am basically out of alignment and I'm not operating as the one new man because the identity of the one new man we find first in Yeshua before we find it in ourselves. And as long as we put him above everything, then we don't have any kind of conflict in terms of those things. And yet, I don't stop coming from a Jewish background. And, and so I may want to worship God in a way that is more consistent with a Jewish culture, and someone may want to worship God with a, something that's more consistent with an Armenian culture. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, as long as we are biblically founded in the way that we're doing that worship, we're not going to have a problem. And as a matter of fact, one of the best ways to bring the body together in unity is to worship together. Uh, I, I, I remember going to a Vietnamese church, and we brought our, our pastor was there and a worship team and so on. And um, we were, you know, we didn't really know how to relate to the people very well. And it was very polite. There was no problem whatsoever. But, you know, we stood around, and, and then the worship started. We worshiped for probably 30 minutes. It was really a good time in worship. When worship was done, you'd have thought we'd been hanging out together for the last 20 <laughs> I need to have this conversation uh, paused for a moment. What a remarkable right. transition, because this will get us, I know Steve's heart cries to talk about the value of worship as the connector, yeah. and Tabernacle of David is all about that. My listening friend, uh, I hope you're engaged in this conversation. We're getting a, 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 a Jewish a rabbinical point of view from Messianic Jew, but we're also getting uh, a point of view from a Pentecostal brother and friend, Steve Griffin, as well. We're going to talk more about this, but also the connector is worship. We're going to talk more about that when we come right back. You're listening to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Don't just listen to it. Be a part of it at 866-577-2473. You're just moments away from more Come Together San Diego on K-Praise. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Here's Kaz Taylor. Well, thank you, my friends. Welcome to the second hour of Come Together San Diego with a compelling topic, the strategy of God bringing together this one new man. And in the last portion of the show, I think uh, we, we cracked some ground here because uh, Steve and I have been friends for a long time and one of the things that Steve and I have drawn together about is how God wants us to worship uh, from the heart instead of the head and we talk about Davidic worship and and uh, our other co-host or guest on this show is Rabbi uh, Robert Wolf. He's a Messianic rabbi and his comment was p- people from different uh, groups had gotten together and they spent some time worshiping together and at the close of the worship and the beginning of other things you couldn't tell one person or one point of view from another they were all godly had a godly blend together and I had to laugh because I think that's God's strategy one of his biggest strategies in this uh, bringing together with this one new man it reminds me Steve and it reminds me Rabbi Bob of a scripture in first Corinthians let me just read this and I'm going to hand the baton um to you, Steve, to speak about, and then I'm going to have a hand a baton to you, Rabbi Bob, as well. But in First Corinthians 14, you're talking about you guys of different uh, economic categories and different uh, 
biblical denominational categories and all these different things, perhaps even age and so forth. But the Bible talks about um, when you all come together, every one of you has a, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 14, um, 26. Uh, when you all come together, brethren, every one of you comes together, they have a psalm, they have a doctrine, they have a tongue, they have a revelation, and they have an interpretation that all things be done into edifying. And a few verses before that, this really speaks to what you were saying, uh, Rabbi. <clears throat> the Bible says that if they all, when they come together and those who prophesy, one of the things that happens is the secrets of the attendees' hearts uh, are made manifest and they fall down on their face. These are people that are not part of the of the group. They come in and they fall, fall down on their face and they say, of a truth, God is with you. And I think bottom line is we want to have an environment in our times together where people come in and our vulnerability, but also our intimacy in sharing what Holy Spirit is telling us to do obediently will make them fall to their face and say, God is with you. I want to know more Jew and Gentile bond and free. So, uh, Steve, I'm going to have you speak to this. And I had to laugh when Rabbi Bob talked about this in the last segment. Steve. Well, um, I'll tell you one thing about that first Corinthians fourteen twenty six is that what you have there is a liturgical outline. You literally have an apostolic yes. first century rubric for our worship service. No one follows it. <laughs> no one follows it at all. <laughs> well, I I, I, somebody did. His name was King David. Right. Well, <laughs> You know, I'm not sure about the tongues, and but there may have been, you know, some some even say that that Pentecost was not the first manifestation of that. But when you know, when you come together in my church, uh, some has a psalm or a hymn. Nobody sings the psalms; they don't fit our rhythms. Uh, a a a lesson, and by the way, that would be chanted. That that would be musical. That'd be something you'd sing. Uh, a revelation, well, the pastor's allowed to have a revelation, but no one else is. <laughs> um, and then a tongue and interpretation, well, you know, I, I don't know the last time, and I am Pentecostal. Actually, uh, full disclosure, I'm actually a, a, a Baptanglicostal who uh, <laughs> went to an Anglican seminary and, and, and Pentecostal Bible college. But neither here nor there, uh, you know, tongue and interpretation, I don't know about you, Kaz, I haven't heard that in a long, long time. Well, the, uh, I hear yes. a lot of clapping and cheering, which I'm all for. But, uh, you know, let all things, let these all be done. Let them be done uh, for the building up that is of the body of Christ. And, and there it is, these elements of worship. Uh, if you're If they're done, it will build the body of Christ. It will build that one new man into the fullness of and the stature of Christ. I don't understand exactly how, but, but you know, I tend to go with Paul on this. Yep. I think uh, he had something going for him there, the first century church. I just wonder if we worship like the first century church, I wonder if we might get first century results. <laughs> oh, my, It'd be my. interesting to try. It would be. R- Rabbi uh, Bob, I, I want to get your input on, because, input on this because you just spoke about this in the previous segment. You guys, people of different points of view, maybe different denominational points of view as well, you get together and you worship for a while, and all of a sudden you think you guys were uh, speaking exactly the same language and you were buddies from years past. Speak to that and uh, how God's plan using worship may be the 
the, the glue that brings uh, this one new man together. Rabbi? Well, <clears throat> the language is love, okay? Ooh. I mean, if we are demonstrating our love for God, and, and we are doing this with genu- genuine hearts to worship, uh, it's impossible to not be knit together with the other people who you're worshiping with. Uh, and you're all going to experience something together in the spirit. Uh, one of the things we did with our One Together conference in San Diego was we called it One New Man in Abba Father. Now, the previous one that our, that our buddy um, Earl did uh, was One New Man in Messiah. But we were called to do One New Man in Abba Father because when you're doing family business, the best way to do family is when you all recognize that you have the same father. And when we are all worshiping the same father, then the walls just simply disintegrate. There aren't walls any longer because you, we now have shared in the same experience and the spirit within us is going to rise up and honor God. And therefore, in so doing, now that the vertical has been taken care of and we are now in alignment with God and with each other, then the horizontal is done. It's a done deal. Um, the other way that that's demonstrated is not only through worship, but also, also through service. But it really starts with worship, starts with prayer. Um, once that's done, then the service part is much is, is a no-brainer. Some people start with service. That's not necessarily wrong, but Worship is essential for unity. There's, there's no way we're going to be unified without worship, without prayer. Yes. Um, so that's my short answer. Okay. Well, we've got about 60 seconds in this uh, remaining in this segment, then we're going to have to take a break. But, uh, you know, Steve, you really hit it. When, you, when I read that scripture in 1 uh, Corinthians 14, you go, how many people in a church, in, in a worship environment, are, are free to say, here's a sense that I get from God, and they they." They prophesy that they wouldn't, you know, if, if many pastors would say, uh, now it's time for us to, you know, take a, take a break and uh, we'll do announcements and we'll come back and I'll give them my message. But I, I have a suspicion that the New Testament, the early New Testament church was not that way. And I, I have a feeling that a lot of times in a worship environment, we get really close to the point where Holy Spirit says, thank you for worshiping me. Let me tell you what my thoughts are. And that, that is exactly the juncture that somebody says, OK, time for announcements. And then I'll tell you what the message is when we come right back. You know, I, I, I get a bit frustrated in that because I've had a taste of Holy Spirit uh, Investing and investing in believers, and it's not always going to come from the pastorate. It's, but, but I think that's you know the Bible talks about uh, the kingdom age, and we're entering into that. You know, the gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the earth, and then the the end shall come. This kingdom age is upon us, and the kingdom age requires intimate involvement from every facet, not just the pastors and eldership. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that's one thing that I'm a little bit frustrated on, but I think God's stirring us if we have that level of freedom, uh, both Rabbi Bob Wolf and Steve Griffin. If if God allows us to have that freedom and we take it, uh, then the intimacy of God horizontally and vertically knows no bounds, and God's church can be God's ecclesia, God's called out ones. So I yeah. wanted you guys to talk a little bit more about these things uh, uh, as we take a break and then come right back. Would you be so kind as to stay with me for those, Steve and Bob? Yeah, sure. Uh, absolutely. 
We'll be right back. More Come Together San Diego with Cass Taylor is next on K-Praise. Now back to Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise with Cass Taylor. Hello, my friends. I need to be really delicate here. I've got two different uh, guests and co-hosts with great insights, and Kaz can get blabified, and I I need to be very delicate in this because I don't want to go too far afield here. I guess you could tell from my questions and my posturing of different comments and things like that, I'm a guy who loves the freedom of worship, and I think freedom of worship is going to be a springboard into the intimacy of the relationship with God and relationship with believers, uh, and it's going to be really one of the key motivations to bringing this one new man uh, of Messiah in, in, into play here like never before. So let me let me pause a question to both Steve Griffin and Rabbi Bob, Bob or Robert Wolf uh, as well, and and then we can see where Holy Spirit wants to take this. You, you you know where my posture is oftentimes in worship and praise. Both of you have been with me in a worship environment, and I tend to go I listen to Holy Spirit, and I just I'll just be involved in that from that direction, and it may violate some uh, pastoral notes or may violate some other people's pre predetermination. And I say, Holy Spirit, where do you want to go? And let's go there. And sometimes I can get myself into trouble. <laughs> but let, let me ask th- th- this question. Steve, I'm going to start with you, and then I'm going to ask a similar question to you, Rabbi Bob. Where is the church now, and how will worship and praise and intimacy vertically and horizontally change where we are right now? What is the biggest change that needs to happen right now, saying that we're in vital times, last of the last days? Steve Griffin. Well, I think we do need to start asking the right questions regarding uh, the form and conduct of our gatherings and define exactly what we would like to see the Holy Spirit do. I think, uh, you know, once uh, uh, in the Old Testament, God said, command ye me concerning the works of my hand. You tell me what you want done. And um, uh, I uh, I, I think going back to what we were talking about last segment there, where there are um, guidelines that are given to us as Christians uh, to sing, for example, in our music, psalms, we don't do it, hymns, not, not really, and spiritual songs, well, my gosh, that, <laughs> you certainly don't do that. Uh, you know, they used to go on and on and on just on the last syllable of the, of the acclamation, hallelujah, and that ah would go on. They called it the jubilus, and it would go on into, you know, for several minutes and into uh, singing in tongues and, and just, you know, all kinds of wild stuff. And, you, and somebody could ask me, well, how is that going to fulfill God's plan? I don't know, but I do know this. You don't know about your plan. You don't know how that's going to work out either. Right now, I can go into almost any evangelical church, be they Pentecostal, non-Pentecostal, whatever, um, and uh, it's they're virtually identical. And you get a band to get up there, and uh, it's 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 uh, done very very well professionally a lot of times, and um, you know. But I see very few people. I don't see the whole body of Christ engaged. 
a few weeks ago, I was in a fine assembly of God, very great organization. I love the AG. Pastor gets up, and it was a tremendous worship service, and he uh, and he starts. Uh, he says, "You know, there are gifts of the Holy Spirit, and uh, you know, etc." And he starts going into, you know, there's tongues and, and prophetic word and everything like that. And I'm thinking. I don't see any gifts going. I see one guy. He's talking <laughs> yeah. to 600 people. Yes. I don't see 600 gifts in operation here at all. And uh, But I think there's some very practical matters that have to be dealt with. For one thing, we, in a way, we're a victim of our own success. Our meetings are so large. Yes. There's really, you, you can't hardly do what they talked about in the, in, in the New Testament. But they had large meetings, too. So they figured out a way to break it down into smaller uh, more intimate settings uh, and still be able to govern it. Yes. And uh, I think more, just uh, more study yes. and more, in, and we just need to ask God, show us how to become that one man that is, that embodies the fullness of the stature of Christ. Yes. yes. Show us how to do that. In, and we, we have that key, the key of David. We know that worship is part of it, but uh, our worship doesn't resemble Bible worship very much. Wouldn't you say that King David, uh, you talk about uh, a massive numbers of people uh, engaged in worship and praise when on the Tabernacle of David uh, platform, basically, you have worship and praise. And, and the focal point was the tent. But surrounding that tent were, you know, members of the, all 12 different tribes. They were all intimately involved in this kind of thing. How, how does this look in New Testament? Uh, I'm going to have a rabbi give us your input as well. You know, I crave, let me just say this, being vulnerable here, but I crave to have that intimacy with God uh, that that uh, allows Holy Spirit to have full reign in a church environment, in my own personal life, and I don't see that often in a church environment. Rabbi, what's your thoughts? Well, we are denominationally driven. Uh, yes. As a matter of fact, ask somebody, you know, what their faith is, they'll often answer in terms of a denomination. Uh, and just for the record, I started out as a Jew. I'm still a Jew, but I came to faith in Church of Christ, then went to Foursquare, uh, became a pastor at Vineyard, a pastor at Assemblies of God, on session in a Presbyterian church, and I now serve in an Anglican church, okay? Um, how is that even possible, okay? It's because my identity is as a child of God. And and uh, and I'm looking for a church that wants to lead, not follow. Of course, we follow Jesus, but we need to lead people in the spirit and, and in the freedom of worship. And there are churches that worship, but don't necessarily worship in spirit and in truth. Okay, and so you got to uncork the bottle to let <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to, to taste the spirits, if you'll excuse the analogy. Yes. Okay, but uh, but. So, I mean, for me, we need to be genuine in the way that we're worshiping God. If we are genuine in the way that we're worshiping God, we'll pull the, the congregation, the church together. We are in, we're not only denominationally, you know, hamstrung, but also in terms of what people's callings and passions are, we will be in church for 10, 15, 20 years with people and not realize that the person who is you know, sitting in the same seat in the pew where they've been for the last 10 years also has a heart to end human trafficking, just like I do. And I never knew it. I never knew it. We don't even do inventory. What are you guys interested in? 
oh, well, we're just there to hear the pastor give the word, okay? But when when we – I wrote a book called Catch and Release out of Acts 6 because they said that the widows weren't being fed, and I'm going – that never really did much for me. And then the apostles said, choose from among yourselves. And that stopped me for two years. Went, what do you mean choose from among You didn't ask the rabbi to do it. You didn't ask the priest to do it. You told the people in the church that they should choose from among themselves. And they gave a qualification that they would be people with wisdom and faith. Mm-hmm. And the first two people that they chose were Stephen and Philip. That is the mm-hmm. tipping point of the New Testament. And we don't even hear about the widows anymore. Boy, we hear a lot about Stephen and Philip. And then by the time you get down to verse 7 in, in Acts, uh, Acts chapter 1, or Acts chapter 6, verse 7, it is the priests become obedient to the faith. Yes. After the people have been chosen, after Stephen and Philip have been sent out, after the apostles have laid their hands on them, after they've been released, now the priests go, oh, we get it. <laughs> okay? So... I'm not being critical of priests, but what I'm saying is is that if we're going to follow the Spirit, then we do have to step up. Cass, God bless you for sometimes doing things that may appear to be out of order if you are following the Holy Spirit. Yes. We do not want to do anything to diminish the role of the pastor. No, no. To him, but we are to move in the Spirit. And, and as Steve was sitting here saying, there's churches that are talking about moving in the Spirit, but they don't move in the Spirit. Yes. So there is a need for us to move in the Spirit in order to experience the Spirit himself and to experience the outpouring. Yes. God is waiting for us. We don't need to wait for him. Oh, I love it. You know, we're gonna have to talk, we wanted to talk about this in the last segment. We're running out of time here, but uh, I... One of the things that we might want to talk about is how does that begin? Does it actually begin in a small environment or around friends and then gravitate to the larger groups? Or how might that look? Um, I'd love to get your insights on that, both of you. As I say, these hours and two-hour shows, they go quickly. Uh, we're going to have to take a break, and yeah. then we come back to close things down. I want you both to be thinking about a closing statement to our listening friends, knowing that our listening friends come from a variety of different denominational uh, and interdenominational backgrounds, and they would like to distill what they've heard right now and give them some practical thoughts on taking the next step forward. My listening friend, Steve Griffin, Pentecostal worshiper, teacher, and uh, Messianic Rabbi um, Rabbi Bob Wolf, and I will be right back. This is Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. More Come Together San Diego is just moments away. Now, more of Come Together San Diego, the live local show on K-Praise. Here's Kaz Taylor. Welcome back, my friends. And I'm always blown away at how quickly these two hours from 5 to 7 p.m. Pacific time go. And I think the last time I had Steve on, he mentioned the same thing. Steve Griffin, he's a, a man of God, a Pentecostal worship leader, a conductor, a teacher, a Bible teacher as well. And also we have uh, uh, Majestic Glory Ministries, Rabbi Robert Wolf with us, giving us two different points of view on a show that's been very commanding. And basically the topic is, what does the one new man look like and where are we now and what can we do to get from here to there? And I'm going to ask you, Steve, just to, to, to start out and kind of, you know, this 
hour, two hour time frame goes quickly. So um, I'll give you a few minutes to give your uh, summary statement and also um, next steps for our listeners, our listeners from all over the place. Many of them are believers, but many of them are for different denominations. Um, so I'm going to ask you to uh, give some input and a summarize. And I'm going to ask similarly of Rabbi uh, Robert Wolf, and then we'll close the show. Uh, thank you, Steve. We'll also start out with giving a, a way people can find out more about you, Steve Griffin. Um, best way to find out from this, it's not easy to find out about me. But, um, <laughs> That's what your wife says. <laughs> yeah, she's been trying for 55 years. But um, uh, you can find uh, the um, our publisher is Zion Song, one word, Zion Song Music. And if you Google that, you'll get some information off of YouTube. And uh, and then you could just email me at sgriffing1, numeral one, sgriffing1 at yahoo.com. So I haven't got some big organization or anything. I'm just a violin teacher here <laughs> in uh, Plano. So I'm just a Plano Texan. I love and, it. Uh, but uh, I'll tell you, um, uh, thank you, Bob, for that insight from uh, Acts chapter 6. I have been fascinated with that, where it says a multitude of priests uh, were obedient to the faith. And, and how those guys were used to transfer. Maybe we need another radio broadcast on this one, too. How did they transfer 4,000 years of, of Hebrew biblical knowledge, understanding, and history to these Gentiles in one generation. And I believe those priests had a lot to do with it, probably led by Barnabas and Saul. But uh, uh, that uh, appreciate how that connection between first the, you know, they had to lay hands on their own leaders, and then the priests followed on when they saw that this was a legitimate thing. But I'd like to close, if you don't mind, um, with the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation, where it says, I looked and behold on Mount Zion, that's the church, according to Hebrews 12, 22, stood the lamb, Jesus is on top, with him 144,000, that's not a literal number, they don't count that high in these days, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. God is putting his nature and his character into our minds. He's giving us the mind of Christ and transforming the way that we think. And I heard a voice from heaven, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of a loud thunder. I heard the voice like the sound of harpers harping and, uh, and on their harps. And they sang a new song. So all of the, the 144,000, I believe a diverse crowd, from every nation, yes, kindred, kindred and tongue. tongue, yes. They were unified in one new song. I believe God wants to establish in the church a sonic signature, a sound that is unique to Christians worshiping. And right now, what we're trying to do is make our worship sound as pop and as marketable as possible. And I, we can get into that. I'm not... Uh, that I'm not going to go any further into that. It's not any one person's fault. It's just the no. way uh, it's the way the market works and all that. Yes. But um, 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 God wants to give the church a sonic signature. 
a sound that was like when the Babylonians said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. Zion yes. We want to hear one of those songs, a sound of Zion. And I believe God's going to give that to us, but we need to start thinking outside the box. Yes. And uh, uh, then as you go down, it eventually it says that, they, that uh, because of this, the, the eternal gospel was preached to the whole world. And what was that eternal gospel? The eternal gospel was worship God and fear him. And um, so that, and that's the bottom line. That's the bottom line. Worship God, give him glory for the hour of his judgment or his kingdom has come and worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of water. And um, uh, then it says Babylon fell. And oh that's my. what we want to see. We want to see Babylon fall <laughs> because of the sound of many waters bringing forth this the everlasting gospel. And uh, usually when I'm in the pulpit, people think I'm preaching the everlasting gospel. <laughs> about, I I'm taking Bob's final t- time, so I will uh, let him finish here because he's Good. only got about two minutes. Yes, right. About two and a half minutes there, uh, Bob. Steve Griffin, thank you so much. And uh, Rabbi Robert Wolf, I want your insights and also maybe uh, next steps for our believers. Uh, about three minutes left. I'll have to uh, inform you when I've got a, just a few seconds left because I have to take it away from you. But Rabbi Bob. So thank you so much. And Steve, uh, such a privilege for both you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, first comment. We're always talking about the gospel, but what the scripture says, it is the gospel of the kingdom of God. There you go. Okay. Mm-hmm. Gospel has a context to it. It's more than just talking about Jesus. It is the, the, the rule and reign of Father God who sends his son, who sends his spirit, who sends us. And that's how it's lined up. And, and that's the position that we have. And so as long as we stay in that alignment, we're doing just fine. And God, God will honor and bless what we're doing. Uh, when we did the One Together conference, we had uh, First Nations on stage worshiping. Then we had Davidic dancing with the Messianic folks. And then they all danced together. Oh. So there is room for the First Nations to worship the way that they want to. There's room for the Jews, as I said, the Armenians, for the Muslims, for crying out loud, you know. But when we come underneath the banner of Jesus Christ, we're all going to be worshiping the same way. And so I love this, this uh, Revelations 14 word, Steve. That is so appropriate because at that point, all of those other banners are dropped. Yes. Okay? And we're not looking for a religious identity any longer. We now have the same master and father, and that is Lord God Almighty. Very good. And I'm not here to promote any other religion. I'm just here to say, hey, we're all underneath the, the same Lord and Father. Also, I want to say that that this picture of Davidic worship is something that is starting to take root over in Israel right now. And I'll be happy to tell you about that, Steve, at another time, but that will bless you. I was in David's tent in Washington, D.C. to see the worship taking place there. And David's men were not all Jewish. They came from other nations. Mm -hmm. And so that gathering of that team underneath David, who was the foreshadowing of the Messiah— came from the nations of the world. Yes, yes. yes. Hey, I'm sorry to pull the reins on you guys here, but I've got maybe 20 seconds left. Uh, R- Rabbi uh, Bob Wolf, uh, quick quick email. No, give me a very, very, very quick email. Quick. Okay. 
Rwolf1 at Mac.com, R-W-O-L-F-F, two Fs and the number one at Mac.com. Okay, it's uh, time for us to go. I'm sorry about that, guys. Steve, God bless you and Rabbi Bob. Bless you. Thanks for joining Cast Hater and his many friends, including you, for Come Together San Diego. Join us again next week as we explore what unity in the body of Christ sounds like within this county and beyond on Come Together San Diego. Tell a friend, tell a neighbor, tell a co-worker, and then let's all come together San Diego next Saturday from 5 to 7 p.m. on K-Praise. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.